Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A little boy of three sitting on the floor looks up and says, Daddy, what is war? Son, that's when people fight and die. A little boy of three says, Daddy, why? Young man of 17 in Sunday school. Being taught the golden rule And by the time another year's gone around It may be his turn to lay his life down Can you blame the voice of youth For asking what is true? Get a friend, get informed, and get involved It's We're Not Cattle Radio Well, good morning and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio I am your host, Jake Counts Coming to you live somewhere in Georgia It is... The 8th day of March 2015, and I am going to be live here once again, recorded live and then broadcasted to air uh, sometime this evening, probably somewhere around 6 o'clock. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for coming back to my show and uh, spreading the word about what I uh, try to accomplish here. And that's just to give my perspective on what I see in national events, what I see local events, um, sociology, I guess, a study of what we're going through as a, as a nation state and as a, uh, as a planet as a whole. It's very, uh, very challenging in a lot of different directions. So thanks for tuning in this morning. I'm going to um, kind of be all over the map today because uh, I didn't get to run a show last week, um, and I do apologize for that. I had all the best intentions. I thought that my daughter caught a 24-hour stomach bug, and it turned out to be a five-day stomach bug. It was really, really rough. And if anybody's got any little kids, you know how it is to try to scamper away and try to make time to do anything. It's um, it's very, very difficult. And even to compound that, um, my wife actually got it as well. So one man showing it the entire time, but uh, now luckily and thankfully everybody is back to feeling better and is back to their normal self. So, hence I get to run a show. So, um, my lord, there's a lot that's happened in the last couple of weeks, and uh, I did want to get into some of the. Um, obviously, I'm going to have the the latest climate change news, and I think the reason I'm making this topic such a um, such a pertinent topic on my show is that we've lost the idea of what science really is in in America now. What's um, I guess Discover Magazine's coming out with this new um, this newly themed article about people that deny quote unquote science deniers. <coughs> Whereas people like myself are the are the real people pushing for science, which is the questioning of a hypothesis, the scientific method, and it seems like it's being eliminated here for the sake of the status quo. And for the sake of getting financing and funding and, and, and being able to get grants. And, um, you know, I was listening to, to No Agenda. If you guys don't follow the podcast, I'm going to actually link to it this time. 
uh, they do an incredible job of uh, breaking down media. I, I do it a little bit here, but I like to kind of scale back and look at the larger picture and just give it um, a layman's perspective. They do deeper dives into you know, what's going on behind the scenes, what's really probably going on with these certain um, – these certain leaders and what they're saying and what it really means and and the misdirection. They did a great job of talking about how this Clinton email scandal is a big misdirection campaign because of the Clinton Foundation and all the money that's gone missing for the, for the Haitian Relief Fund. And um, it did an incredible job because – if you think about who broke the story and 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 how the story was broken and how it hit the media stream, and uh, there's a there's a clip that I'm going to play here from from MSNBC's Morning Joe with our good friend Mika Brzezinski. Is um, if you listen to the show enough, you know her relation to Zigner Brzezinski and his relation to uh, the White House, uh, two administrations. Uh, not really uh, on the books, so to speak, for the Obama administration anymore. He was on there for the first go-around, but you kind of know how that works, uh, especially when you see a big demonization campaign of Russia. You can best believe that Zbig is going to be back there because that is a country that he is not a big fan of. So anyway, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to, like I said, the climate change uh questioning of the EPA's I think she's the general counsel of the EPA or the head of the EPA by Senator Sessions and uh, Senator Sessions is uh, by far and away if, if it's vestigial or not I don't I don't even know but this guy is by far and away my favorite person to listen to and I'm going to play a couple of clips of those um, interviews here um, number one the EPA interview and then number two I'm going to see if I can stir up the the interview or the uh, the questioning he had when um, when the general at the time and I can't remember the guy's name it slips my mind at this time that said that we were uh, we were going to be under oh it was Panetta he said that we're going to be the under the guidelines of the UN so if we if the U.S. military if we form a coalition and the coalition decides to use U.S. forces then we'll just supersede Congress and just say well you know we. We, outside of you know congressional law, have decided that we're going to go ahead and do this as, as a as an international community or as a as a NATO group, and that that should be enough for the American people. So, if you're somebody like myself that is trying to find their way through this crazy world and looking at all these different angles that these politicians are using, and looking at the public as a reflection of what's going on. You, you get – I don't want to say scared, but you get a little nervous in the fact that that people can recite to you who their, who their football team needs. Oh, I tell you what. I tell you what the Falcons need this year. We need to do this, this, and this. Not what their nation state needs. And once again, you know, I'm a, I'm a voluntarist, uh, libertarian, and, you know, big believer in, in agorism. So I, I think that nation states are kind of silly. But then again, I understand that they're a necessary evil with the mindset that we have now, and I think that that's where my show is a little bit is a little bit different. If you're a if you're a true volunteer, a voluntarist libertarian, or if you're just a a person that doesn't believe in the right left paradigm, I have ideas of what I wish a free world would be, 
And I, I think the reason that I differ so much is that I don't become dogmatic about my beliefs. I will, I will listen to other people's ideas, and if, if you have a great idea and you can back it up with some, with some historical data, with some, you know, with some research, and you can come to me at a, at, at a very, you know, at a very, I guess, scholarly level and explain your point of view, then then we can we can agree to disagree on certain things, or we can. Ag- or you might be able to present enough information that I might change my way of thinking. And I think that that's where we need to get to because the way that I see it, I don't I don't look at the golden egg at the end of the rainbow or the golden ticket, which is absolute freedom, which I do believe in. I, as I've said before and as um, the guy that runs the podcast with me every once in a while, Josh Wiley, has said before, I would rather live in a dangerously free society than a highly controlled secure one. But that's just me. I would rather put the onus on myself to try to um, to try to protect myself and my property rather than put the onus on someone else. So, and if my my audio is ducking, I do apologize. So, at the end of the day, what I see is is an avenue of change, and how do we how do we incite that change? And it has to be the correct change. We can't just have change for change's sake because we saw where that got us with. President Barack Obama, he understood that the American people were tired of the warmongering, that were tired of invasions, that were tired of the nonsense of the rhino Republicans. And so he did a great job in, in a marketing campaign and basically just marketed his way to the presidency. And it becomes very, very difficult when you're looking at intellectuals that will back up him. So from a collegiate level, you have intellectuals that will back up the ideas that are that are being you know that are being pronounced on high from the politicians, and so you have this un- unfortunate cycle here in America where where people don't learn from themselves. They don't take information and digest it for themselves, and and once again have their critical thinking, as Josh Wiley so eloquently put it last show. People are outsourcing their critical thinking to other sources. So if you're outsourcing it to Fox News or CNN. Or if you're even outsourcing it to me, shame on you. That's your thoughts. It's your ideas. And if you don't if you don't have enough information to 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 be informed on a certain topic, then then go ahead and own up to it. So there's a couple of things I think that are in our society. Maybe it's just in our in our psyche in general that makes us um, makes us very very much on the path of non free human beings. And that's this idea of outsourcing our critical thinking and also the idea that, um, that we need to be protected by an, an invisible thing that, that really isn't even there. Once again, government is just buildings where people like you and me go into and do regular jobs. It is not some invisible thing that can come down from the sky and shield you from everything. It can't give you money. It can't create jobs. It, that's not what the government's role is government's role is a monopolization of force and utilizing that force in the way that it can protect the status quo and protect the special interests that fund it and unfortunately you and i are not the special interests anymore much like our constitution would like us to believe to be the american people were supposed to be the engine that drove this nation state an informed electorate you know, I don't know how many different founding fathers wrote 
that if we, I mean, try as we must, but we're probably going to lose this freedom. And and the way that you look at it, and yes, and I know all, I know that a lot of them were aristocrats, and I, I get it. But the foundations of people like Thomas Paine and the foundations of people like Patrick Henry, you know, people that understood true freedom and true liberty, when you look at it and look at what America has become, we are uh, pretty much a joke. We're not pretty much a joke. We're, we're an absolute joke. I mean, the American people didn't, didn't give a shit that the FCC just voted to take over the Internet. We're, we're just going to – this is a – once again, a non-governmental entity, unelected officials – once again, officials. There's the brainwashing. Uh, they are not officials, people. They are public servants. Once again, non-elected public servants outside of law just said, we're doing it. And yeah, the Supreme Court's probably going to shut it down. And, and and I was talking to one of my friends. It's a um, He's an engineer and, and actually a network engineer, and, and this is what frustrates me is that people that have no idea how packets get transferred, you know, how, how the internet even works, are talking about net neutrality. Go away. Go away. You're hurting the idea of what the internet can be. Oh, I think that all these packets should be equal and there shouldn't be any throttling. Well, I tell you what, if you don't throttle stuff, you're going to have all kinds of issues. And then you're going to cry about it because your bandwidth's not going to be you know, sufficient enough, and then you're going to have to go get more bandwidth. So it's a big boondoggle either way. It's a catch-22 either way. But the fact of the matter is, is now the Internet is, is the idea of freedom. That's why I love it so much. The idea that I have my free speech, and I can populate my free speech to thousands of people a month is cool to me. And the, the other cool thing is that thousands of people want to hear my free speech. I mean, that's like, I guess, the, the self-gratifying part of what I do. But, but I look at the numbers of the, of the podcasts that get shared and the podcasts that, you know, with downloads and, and which ones are successful and which ones aren't and kind of look at the topics and, and try to find out what the people really care about. You know, there are tons, tons of people of, and I'll link to a couple of them in the show notes just so you get an idea Be- that do that do deep research of you know of the Anglo-American establishment that will really point out to you and drill down what's going on, why is it doing it, where this all came from, and it's been well documented. Um, Peace Revolution does an incredible job with uh, their historical documentation. James Corbett of the Corbett Report, I've uh, played a couple of his reports breaking down the origins of ISIS and the origins of Islamic terror. So there's guys out there doing incredible work. Where I see myself fitting in is is the gentleman with the idea, but then also realizes the reality of the situation. The reality of the situation is is that we have a lot of uninformed people that do outsource their critical thinking. And when I see myself and I catch myself on Facebook doing this, and it's very, very annoying, and I made a post about it the other day, that when people have put words on a screen and that somehow gets you upset or emotionally distraught, you need to ask them to clarify what they're trying to say before you go back at them and and call them out or call them names or whatever because 
the internet is, and once again, social media in general, the internet sometimes becomes one-way communication, which is a closed-loop conversation. It's not open dialogue. So, so where you run into tricky situations is if you have somebody that has a dogmatic belief, then they post something on Facebook, and then you have um, four or five sequential dogmatic beliefs right behind that. There's no discussion. There's no defining of terms. There's no none of that. It's just, here's what I believe. You guys are all retards for not believing it. And I've seen people use that terminology, and that's why I bring it up. You know, in this world of self-censorship and political correctness, I can't believe I just did that. But you have to make sure that you're defining your terms so that when we look at these larger issues, like when people say, I don't want socialism. Okay, cool. What's your idea of socialism? What is your working definition of the term socialism? And if you say anything other than an economic term, then we're not talking about the same thing. Because socialism is economics. It is not a political stance. So, I mean, I guess it can be, but, you know, it's for, you know, socialized reform. And once again, going back to the robber barons, it gets really, it gets really convoluted if you understand the, the root of socialism, Karl Marx, all of these different players, where they came from, who funded them, why they wrote the things that they wrote. I mean, a lot of those things look great on paper, but applied in the real world, when you throw it up against the free market, the free market rejects a lot of them. The free market rejects centralized planning. Humans reject centralized planning. You know, the only way that you could ever get control of a population, look at the, look at the Mayans and what they used to do. You know, the only way that they could quell their population is by having a bunch of sacrifices and, and having, you know, lunar charts and, and being able to predict, uh, you know, sun and moon cycles so that they could scare their, they could scare their people. And of course they were taking a lot of psychedelics, so that probably, that probably didn't hurt either, you know, to be able to control people. Imagine anybody that's taking a psychedelic. Imagine somebody just handing you a drink, you taking it, and then being on a trip and not knowing it. Wow, would that really – and then being in some kind of religious ceremony on top of that, that would just really – that would blow your mind. So I, di I digress into all this stuff. But where I think I come from and what I'm trying to do with this show now is, is look at the reality of the situation and try to move – the meter ever so slightly towards freedom. And I don't think that that's a very big leap. I saw this article the other day in salon.com and I'll, I'll, I'll repost it. Or I don't know if it was salon. It must've been one of those other, one of those other online magazines that, that typically will lean a little bit more left. And once again, I don't believe in the right left paradigm, but it's a, it's an easy way to classify what these people are doing. But it, it, it went into this discussion about how libertarianism will fail because of some South American squandered country. And it's like, well, it's supposed to be all these great things and free market, but it's not. And it's just a really big hit piece. Because what people have to understand about libertarianism or the idea of maximum freedom is that you have to have a baseline or a fundamental understanding of freedom first – Otherwise, it's never going to work. So if we don't have that basic fundamental understanding of freedom and then we try to create a free society, you're just going to end up failing miserably 
because people want collectivized because it's going to be a struggle. There's going to be a transition point where yes, yes, three or four years are going to really, really suck. Kind of like if we had to pull back from from being a global superpower, there are going to be you know a couple of years that are going to really suck. But it's going to have to be done in order to economically save the nation state or economically save the world. Because if you read Zygmunt Brzezinski's book and, and a lot of other economists, they talk about how no other player is ready to step up to the, to the plate of being a world reserve currency. Yes, and the Brinks is making a lot of noise out there in the public. And Josh and I had, um, had gone over this briefly about how that's a trap and how pure libertarianism is a trap. There are all these little landmines all spread around the world, and once you break out of this um, right-left paradigm, uh, my, my neighbor and I talked about this. There's, there's just booby traps waiting for you everywhere. There's the booby trap of Alex Jones and the conspiracy world, which I got sucked into because it's fascinating. It's all, I mean it's a big whodunit mystery. I mean it's cool. There's a lot of things in there that are very, very – important to understand like false flag terror and and uh, a strategy of tension and all those things are very important to understand when you look at the world geopolitically and even apply that to the small realm that you live in those are very important philosophies so when we look at it as People that are on this landmass together with imaginary borders drawn by politicians. What are we? Are we a free society? I would say we're, we're losing freedom. And hopefully I'll have this intro sliced up, but I'm sure I will by the time that this goes to air. But, you know, said so well that freedom or tyranny doesn't really exist. Tyranny is just the absence of freedom. So if you look at that from that standpoint, what does America need? Well, America needs more freedom. Well, how do we do that? Well, first we have to overcome the mind control that's being used on the public. You're being propagandized. Fully legal now. Fully legal. Through the uh, 2014 NDAA. It's, I think it was 2014. Was it 2013? I'll have to, I'll have to double check. But they just redacted the Smith or um, just said, okay, the smith Act. I talk about it at nauseum, what it means. That means that they can straight up propagandize us. They can send messages to push you in a certain direction. And that's the other hard thing to understand is that when we're talking about freedom, we have to be aware of the social engineering and reject it. Because what they're social engineering you for is collectivism, is bringing the first world down to third world status, which they've talked about at Rio, and they've talked about it in hundreds of white papers. Because their theory is, is that, you know what? You guys are too uppity. You'll never bring yourself down. So, you know what? I think I have a clip for that. So let me, let me pause there, because that's what it's all – this is what it all comes down to. It all comes down to the fact that we need to look and evaluate where we're at currently. We need to look and evaluate where we have the greatest opportunity for success. What has succeeded in the past from a philosophical standpoint in a nation state as large as ours? 
the socialists always argue for people like you know oh look at look at Denmark look at all these nation states yeah, yeah, yeah that's great dude once again the smaller the populace the better the better chance that socialism has to succeed it's it's just a it it, it just doesn't work any other way it's kind of like you know the climate change people that that really do want to to have public transportation in the United States. Yes, I agree with that. We do need better roads. We do need better bridges. We do need you know high speed rail. That'd be all great. But there's one big problem: we're a giant damn landmass, and we're spread out all over the place. That's why Agenda 21 has central planning because they're trying to force people into combines or force people into compact cities. To make it easier not to control you necessarily, but easier to have that Fabian socialist idea of public transit and and do all of these things because if you centralize people, it's much easier, number one, to control them, yes. So that's that's you know always a, a plus when you're talking about social engineering, a, a group of people. But it also makes it easier for public transit. So I, I get the game plan. But I also understand that the game plan is not just because it wants these people want to give the world a big hug. It, a lot of it has to do with command and control, whether it's from a, an economic standpoint, a sociological standpoint. They want you to buy their bullshit and to buy it unequivocally. Don't question it. Just go with it. And I see it a lot. So now, taking all that into consideration, we have to... Push through the propaganda. Understand what logical fallacies are. Be able to critically think. Then we have a bad bedrock. And then learn about the concepts of freedom. Hey, we don't have to subscribe to all this stuff whole hog right away. But we do need to start dialing back the idea that government control and central planning and centralized control is a great idea. It, it's not a great idea. The only way that you can keep people from becoming high criminals and, and performing high treason and never getting in trouble is by decentralizing the power structure. How do we do that? Well, we had a great blueprint. Hey, we're going to put the states, which are smaller, smaller models, in charge. We're going to have a bigger government that's going to oversee, just oversee the transactions between the states. And that's about it. And they might have, you know, a navy or something like that. But that's about it. We're not going to have anything else that's going to be that's going to be anything other than just something that will regulate commerce and and interstate trade. Yeah. So understanding that the only way that these revolutions will take place, the revolution of freedom, is through, unfortunately. The intellectual level. Now, Thomas Sowell has a, a new book out um, called uh, "Intellectuals in Society," I believe, and he did a um, he did a thirty five minute interview, which I'm going to play clips of here today. Kind of breaking down, um, he breaks down uh, climate change. He breaks down how the society needs to function, why it's dangerous to always trust people that are um, career academics, but how we need the academics, and that's what's interesting is that when we start looking at society the way that it's set up with the university systems and 
and the and the and the upper echelon universities only being the ones given real education and I don't mean that as a slap in the face of that, you know, piece of paper that stands on your wall that probably costs you a hundred grand and it being just, you know, basically a piece of paper that didn't really teach you how to do any critical thinking or become an entrepreneur or, you know, be a trailblazer. It just taught you how to answer questions, follow rules and um and do what other people in the past have done that have been proven. Once again, it's a great idea if you wanted to create a nation state full of people that wanted to be workers. Unfortunately, you start running out of jobs when you create nation states of just people being workers and not being entrepreneurs and trailblazers and and um, and wanting to get out there and try new things and be innovative. Um, so we do have that working against us, and it's the safety of it. It's the safety of everything, whether it's the safety of tenure at the university system. It's the safety of having a corporate job and that paycheck so you know that you're going to be able to make your rent and you know that you're going to be able to pay your bills. We, we leave out a lot of the larger picture when we start looking at things that way. So the ideas of freedom have to get pushed up through the university system and be taught. And real history needs to be taught. Not just banker history, real history. Have the history professors challenge the history that they're having to teach because they get scared. Once again, that's their career. It's kind of difficult to go against something that, you know, oh, this is what I've been taught my whole life and this is what I what I I don't really know if this is fact. This is kind of distorting the history of it. Maybe well, I, I should probably just teach it anyway, so I don't get in trouble. And that's where we're at now. We're in a society of people that don't want to get in trouble. Nobody wants to go off the status quo because it's comfortable. Everything is comfortable. Well, I'm here to tell you to get out of your comfort zone. Do things that you normally wouldn't do. Here's one thing that I highly recommend. Get involved in local activism. You do local activism. Your entire idea of freedom, your entire idea of the world will change. It'll change rather dramatically. Find something you're passionate about and go after it. Even if it's real, even if it's climate change, go after it. I'm not knocking the idea that we need to be environmental stewards of this planet. That is not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying that in one bit. We have real issues as a species and what we do to this planet, mainly the Western world. We have issues about how we do things. But that doesn't mean that we're all evil and it doesn't mean that we're all we can't change our we can't change our behavior and it doesn't mean that we can't make things better by by inventing new uh, new methodologies or, or new practices that will enable us to be um, more sustainable. And once again, it has to come from the academia because if academia keeps going down this line of comfort, we're all destroyed. Because then it becomes the, the appeal to authority, and I understand all of these things that are in place. So we have to educate people, and how do we do that? You have to learn how to educate yourself. And professors need to be teaching that, and high school teachers need to be teaching this, and middle school, and all the way down, because understand that if we keep going down this path, we're all hosed. It's, and yeah, it might be good for your lifetime, 
But what about your kids? What about your grandkids? What about your grandkids' grandkids? Are they going to look at you and go, wow, that guy at least tried to do a lot of stuff. I mean, granted, he failed, but look at what my grandfather did. He understood the game plan. He understood what was going on. He understood all these different things. He tried to incite change. Or are they going to say, wow, my grandfather watched a lot of TV, knew a lot about sports, but look at me in debt slavery. Look at me bring, being brought down to the third world. Look at me being put under you know, carbon taxes in order to control how I live, sleep, eat, breathe, and operate. Look at me. Do you want that? Do we, do we want that? Is that what we want, just to be a bunch of automatons and be told what to do, where to do it, and how to do it? And to eliminate the entire opportunity of free will? And yeah, there are government programs out there with with um, I can't remember what it, they are. I th- if they're bacteria or if they're viruses, I think they're viruses that go in and eat certain segments of the brain that make you docile, that make you um, that delete memories. I mean, we're getting into some crazy stuff here. And if we don't watch this stuff, and number one, if we don't have a public debate about it, holy crap, are we in trouble? Because we've seen what government does. Government just says, "Here, FCC, take this." Take this, you know, internet stuff. You guys deal with it. You broke up the bell system because you thought it was a monopoly, which it was. So that was good. Where is the monopoly with the internet? I don't see one. Seems like it's doing okay to me. So I do want to play some of these Thomas Soul clips because it's... You know, I want to play some Thomas Soul clips. I got some clips on the EPA lady. But I just wanted to give people that are just tuning into the show, because I have new people tuning all the time. And feel free to email me if you want. If you got show ideas, if you got questions, comments, uh, feel free to email me at wearenotcattle at gmail.com. Uh, feel free to go to the website, wearenotcattle.net. Uh, donate. Uh, I've got a bunch of donations last month, so thank you very much for the donations. Um, albeit small, but hey. You know, we got to, um, you know, pennies add up to dollars, which add up to, well, dollars, which add up to to um, new equipment and um, possibly um, better production value from me personally. So, and, and it does help because it doesn't, um, you know, these things just don't come together. You have, to, um, you have to spend a little time on this. And it's a labor of love for me because it's getting the voice of uh, liberty and freedom out there and um, and getting ideas put out into the into the world. You remember, um, if anybody has uh, taken the time to go watch my interview with Tom Campbell, uh, the, the thing that he discusses, you, even if you subscribe if, or, don't, or don't subscribe to his, um, his philosophy of what the world is in this big simulation that we're in, that's his, that's his theory, not mine, um, that the only time that anything becomes real is when it's either spoken or written, because then it's manifest in this data stream. And that's kind of where we're at. So if you can think of us as little nodes, little computer nodes out there, and we're all having this one data stream that is mainstream media, or we want to have this all this one data stream that is public education, it gets very, very dangerous because the data stream can be tainted. And now everybody's tainted, which is a good analogy of what we're dealing with because we're all tainted to some aspect. I'm even tainted. I'm tainted to the fact that, you know, I thought that pure libertarianism, you know, go Ron Paul was going to be the way to go. And then, you know, coming to find out that a lot of the a lot of the Rockefellers and 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 other elitists were were trained by uh, by Hayek himself. 
So it, is, is it a libertarian trap? Is it just people that want to understand the concepts of free market? I don't know. And that's the, that's the crazy thing is the more that I realize and the more that I learn on this planet, the less I know. It's very frustrating. But then when I see people that are sitting there telling me that they know what's going on, oh, I got it all figured out. Really? Please explain it to me. Because the more books I read, the more questions I have. The more I, I analyze the way that I, I believe, the less I believe it. And you have to be, you have to be vigilant about it. It's absolutely crazy. But the one thing that I keep coming back to is the way that natural law works. You know, how does this really, how does this play out in the, in other species? How, because that gives you kind of a guideline of what the planet will take. Because it's, it's, it's getting the ideas from something that is not human created. And this is where humans might have our downfall because we're, we're so damn arrogant that we think that since we can think of something we're like, oh, this has got to work. This has got to be great. I, I thought of it. I mean, look at this. On paper, this looks fantastic. Well, let's try it. And it doesn't work because it'll go against something that's already in place, natural law or something to that effect where it's like, oh, we can't really infringe on that. And once again, using the Tom Campbell analogy of the data stream, it infringes on the policies that are already in place through natural law, which supersede humans. It supersedes man. It's kind of like the right to self-defense. That supersedes anything that, that men can put on a piece of paper. It really does. Because if you look at it, all in nature, it's always there. I mean, do you ever see, do you ever see a... Um, a gazelle that's um, that's getting chased down by a cheetah just give up and go, you know what? I don't have the right to defend myself by running. So I'm just gonna st- I'm gonna stop. No, it's it's it, it's instinctual, it's ingrained, it's there. And just because humans make a um, a, a device that makes a loud sound and shoots a projectile really, really fast doesn't mean that it doesn't give me a right not to have it. Does that make any sense? Just because it's scary doesn't mean that you get to take that away from me if it's the best opportunity for me to defend myself against a predator. And that's what people that commit crimes are. They're predators. They're preying on you. It's as simple as that. So think of it as a predator and prey mentality, and then you might have a different opinion on the Second Amendment. You don't have to use it. You can use a shovel. You can use a knife. Whatever you want. But don't take away my right to to defend myself and what I see is the best way possible. Now, some people see the best way to defend themselves as possible is by having government come in. By hiring goons, you know, when taking money from other people and, and hiring a goon squad. Which there was a big write-up in an article about Ferguson about how um, that um, – I think it was The Guardian saying that um, Ferguson doesn't have a – they don't have a um, – what was it? I can't remember the exact headline, but it's like Ferguson has a gang problem, and they show the cops. I'm like, yeah, that's what organized government police are. They're gangs. To the lowest common denominator, that's what they are. By definition, they are a gang of people. They're a group of people set out to do a mission. And it talks about asset seizure in there, which is great because we do need to talk about that. That's theft, asset forfeiture, whatever you want to call it. Where you're not committed, you you haven't committed a crime either. You got, 
let's say that um, let's say here here's a great example. I used to work at a golf course. We used to get tips from time to time. I used to keep my tips on a on a money clip. So when I would go through the drive through or whatever, I could just pull my money clip out, grab a couple bucks, throw it at the guy, and I'm gone. Say I get pulled over, I've got my money clip sitting there, it's got a $20 bill on the outside, the guy says, that's drug money, give me the money. Takes the money, charges me with no crime, sits there and holds it and says, you know what, Pfft, see ya. That's ours. We, we think that he's a drug dealer, so we're going we're gonna to take this money and hold on to it. And then they never give it back. That's asset forfeiture. That's criminal. That's crazy. And guess what? We put up with it. So whatever. Kind of back to the old adage of we have to have a baseline of freedom. And the only way that we're going to get it is through self-education and by changing the ideas and the preachings at the top. Because the top class hasn't been in the real world. And I'm talking about the, the intellectuals. They got great ideas. You do. You got great ideas, guys. You really do. But guess what? You've never had to go out into the free market. That's why all of them demonize the free market because they've never had to go in there and do it. They've never had to see how corrupt government is. They've never had to see what regulations can do to an industry. I mean it, it's ri ridiculous. Regulations and laws are now used as weapons. They're used as financial weapons. They're used as political weapons. So we have to get to this point where we just say, all right, oh, whoa, 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 easy on the laws. So let's have the intellectuals come out and be the first ones, beat everybody to the punch and say, hey, we need to start thinking about the world differently. And we don't need to start thinking about the world as a collective because it feels nice and it sounds good because that's what it is. It feels nice. It sounds good. It's an easy sell. That's all that it is. It feels nice and it sounds good. It's an easy sell, and that's all we have to do is just go. You know, if we just if we just stop fighting, you know, if we just stop war, and that's the other thing. I, I understand once again, understand where I'd like to go as a society, but I can't. I can't get there because guess what? I'd love to be in a society where everybody practices the non-aggression principle, but guess what? It's not going to happen. It's kind of like the people that really, really think that imperialism, like neocon you know, global policy, is going to work. We're going to go over there and just kick some people around and just say, here's some democracy. I've had oligarchs and, 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 and um, you know, they've, they've had oligarchs and, and stupid dictators for the past thousand years, and you're just going to go in there and say, yeah, you guys get to choose whatever you want. Well, what's going to happen? The same thing is going to happen than what happened – over in Egypt, the biggest gang with the biggest bunch of intimidation is going to come in, and they're going to get elected. And then we're going to go, oh, now we got to go kick out that gang and try it again. So it becomes really, really, really silly. But once again, we're a war economy, so we have to be at war. Otherwise, the economy will collapse. And, and that's, the, that's the truth of it, guys. That's the real truth of it. So here's the first clip from uh, from Thomas Sowell uh, about intellectuals and society. You are listening to We Are Not Cattle Radio. Thank you so much for listening to us. Remember, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, We Are Not Cattle Number One. You can um, you know find me on Facebook through the We Are Not Cattle .net page. And unfortunately, I think I might have to start f thinning out the Facebook friends because um, some of these people are starting to really, really get on my nerves because it's not productive for me. To go through my newsfeed and, and see a bunch of people um, reposting propaganda that is blatant propaganda, and then when you point out the logical fallacies 
and, and things like that that you should be looking at critically and reading an article critically rather than going, oh, this aligns with this point of view that I have. It is therefore I'm correct. Here, this is what I've been trying to tell you people. You're all stupid. I'm smart. And then you go off and watch some stupid sitcom. People like myself that look at it and go, oh, my God, this is this is absolute propaganda. You try to point it out, and then all of a sudden you're a big, bad conspiracy theorist, which I do have another quote, um, another clip from uh, David Cameron. Maybe I should play that one right now, the David Cameron clip where he talks about conspiracy. I'll do that first because now anything thinking outside of the status quo is a conspiracy theory. It is just – you don't believe that government should be the, the center of the universe? You're a conspiracy theorist. You believe in freedom? That's a conspiracy theory. We never had freedom here. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? The internet was never regulated by the government. You are crazy. What do you think? That people themselves can govern themselves with just a few principles that are taught back in kindergarten? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. People, the majority of stuff that you learn on the playground, if you apply that to real life, like – don't punch somebody unless they punch you. You have the right to defend yourself, but don't go starting stuff. Don't tell lies. Uh, be upfront and be honest, and um, and be polite. How about that? Could you imagine what kind of world we would live in? Nah, it's it's too easy to just. It, it, and that's the the poor part about it is that the status quo is such an easy cop out. So here is Mr. Cameron talking about um, you know. Uh, these conspiracy theorists are very, very dangerous. So enjoy, everybody. We'll be right back on the backside. Thanks for listening to We Are Not Cattle Radio. The root cause of this terrorist threat is a poisonous ideology of Islamist extremism. This is nothing to do with Islam, which is a peaceful religion which inspires countless acts of generosity every day. Islamist extremism, on the other hand, believes in using the most brutal forms of terrorism to force people to accept a warped worldview and to live in a quasi-medieval state. To defeat ISIL and organizations like it, we must defeat this ideology in all its forms. As evidence emerges about the backgrounds of those convicted of terrorist offenses, it is clear that many of them were initially influenced by preachers who claim not to encourage violence, but whose worldview can be used as a justification for it. We know this worldview, the peddling of lies, that 9-11 was somehow a Jewish plot, or that the 7-7 London attacks were staged. The idea that Muslims are persecuted all over the world as a deliberate act of Western policy the concept of an inevitable clash of civilizations. We must be clear, to defeat the ideology of extremism, we need to deal with all forms of extremism, not just violent extremism. So there you go. All forms of extremism, even nonviolent extremism. So once again, if you have a different narrative of, or a, a different opinion of what 9-11 was, Given the factual information, for those of you that have taken the time to look at the factual information, it is very, very uh, compelling that the f story that we were fed um, by the national media as well as, um, as by their nice little book that they put out um, is a fabrication. 
uh, whether it's a fabrication to cover up the fact that um, government screwed up or a fabrication to directly hide the people that were involved, we won't know until those um, pages are declassified. And um, we already know from a financial standpoint uh, who stood to gain uh, all the different contracts that were in place, the timing of them. I mean it's very, very – I mean if you, if you would have to be the ultimate coincidence theorist to believe uh, the, the original fable of, um, of 9-11. And I've actually seen this start to go around now where they have um, people talking about how – and I'll have to find the clip if I can find it. It would be incredible – talking about how – um, people are using nanothermite and that it burns really hot. So maybe that's in the 28 pages and they're just trying to get ahead of it, um, talking about the Muslims using this in, in certain scenarios. So maybe they're trying to – gosh, I'm really going to have to find that clip. If I find it, I'll, um, I'll interject it um, right here and uh, you guys can take a peek or listen. If I don't find it, I'll um, – or if I find it, I'll just put it in the show notes. That'll, that'll be much easier. But what, what I heard – was um it was kind of a branding and a molding of this nanothermite to Islamic extremists, so that uh, if it does come out that they did use nanothermite uh, to bring down the towers, now they'll have um, that already in place and already in the front page of the American psyche, so they can just pull that back out, pull that beauty back out, and be able to um and be able to utilize it um, to propagandize you in the future. Because when when we're sitting there and in, in a dreamlike state, which most Americans are watching television or sports or whatever, once again, I have no problem with you doing that. Just don't do it at the expense of liberty or don't do it at the expense of us um, of moving forward as a society, as a free society. You know, you're 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 going for the convenience route and now you're you're trying to um, ah somebody else will take care of that. And that's a very. Uh, generalized statement for for the American public, but that's that's kind of what we're looking at here. So, you know, somebody else will take care of it. You know, somebody's working on it somewhere. Kind of like, ah, oh, we'll just let somebody else do that. Once again, outsourcing critical thinking, uh, outsourcing uh, everything that should be held um, sector sank to people that are um, living in a free society and that want to live in a free world and that don't want. Um, Ongoing endless wars and don't want bureaucracies to to make up laws for them and don't want uh, bureaucratic organizations taking over um, facets of of life that have become um, that have become pretty entrenched in our in our modern society like the internet. So once again, anybody that talks about the FCC taking over the internet that is that is not understood or does not understand uh, internet infrastructure. Uh, packet collisions, uh, hubs against switches, um, appliances, UTM appliances, I mean, all these different things, um, then don't listen to them because they're just blowing, they're just blowing smoke up your ass. So when you see people on, um, when you see people on, uh, I think it was MSNBC when they were talking about the Clinton emails and about how it's, and once again, that's the big distraction, but, um, how it's more secure or less secure? Well, it's a private email versus a government email, and that that um, it's definitely not more secure than the government or blah blah blah. Well, here's the problem: is that your dumbass isn't even asking the question that should be the real question. Hey, where is the server located? What kind of you know what kind of protection devices are in the way of that server? Are they level seven certified? Are they are they UTM appliances? Can they really pick up everything? Are they unified threat management appliances? Do they pick up you know uh, malware? Do they pick up spam? 
them? Do they pick up viruses, Trojans? What do they do? Do you have do you have some kind of software running on the PC to detect malware and all these other things that are that are causing all these other problems with with Target and all these other uh, organizations, or is it just you talking out of your ass? Uh, most of the time, it's some um, news quote unquote reporter talking out of their ass that they have no idea what they're talking about. You know, if you're listening to me, you can obviously tell that um, since I do use uh, or since I <laughs> since I um, utilize this as my career, uh, I, I know a little something about it and the fact that um, that we're listening to talking heads talk about whether it's good or bad is is um is kind of it's kind of stupid kind of silly Here, here's a good idea for a um fox news or a cnn if you really want to talk about net neutrality pull in an a uh, microsoft certified engineer and um and ask them about it a security engineer and say does this make us safer um is this w- what is this doing uh instead of bringing out your normal you know retired cia retired fbi uh, governmental uh spokesholes because that's all they are. They're just propagandizing you. Uh, they have they have, a, they have something to sell, and they're going to sell it to you. So anyway, uh, now I'm going to get to the uh, the Thomas Sowell stuff. And like I told you guys, I'm going to be kind of all over the map. Um, here comes uh, Thomas Sowell and and his ideas of um, I don't know if I should start with the climate change or if I should go to let's start with the idea of um, of the society full of. Of the intellectuals and a society driven by the intellectuals and how it can be dangerous. So, uh, so here's a quick clip for you. It is far easier to concentrate. Again, I'm quoting from Intellectuals in Society. It is far easier to concentrate power than to concentrate knowledge. Yes. What bearing has that got on the influence that intellectuals have over society as a whole? Because they they believe that since knowledge is concentrated in people like themselves. What needs to be done is, in a quote from, from President Obama, is to put more power in the hands of, of the experts. So the intellectual temptation is to say, look, we already know everything. That's right. If only we also had the power. all the power, yes. everything would be just fine. Yes. And what's wrong with that view? Why isn't that a sensible view? One, they don't know everything. They don't, have, they don't know one-tenth of everything. Uh, in fact, I, I, I argue that they, they probably don't know 1% of the consequential knowledge in a society. Consequential knowledge is a, is a, is a, a concept that runs through this book. Explain that concept. Uh, knowledge whose presence or absence has consequences, serious consequences. I mean, I was once in a plane that was coming down for a landing in the Ithaca airport, uh, and suddenly the pilot gunned the motor and went up again because someone in the control tower had, told, had reminded him that he hadn't lowered, lowered his landing gear. So that was consequential, consequential knowledge, knowledge, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> I was just delighted that that person had, had, had his eyes open and his mind on his work. So the notion here is that the kind of knowledge, the kind of consequential knowledge required to prove effective in governing a nation, of, such as the United States, with the biggest economy in the world, 300 million people, you can put together quite a large group of professors, mm. and they're still not going to possess the knowledge that would enable them to run General Motors, for example, or to run the nation's health care system, for example. Oh, I, I, absolutely. 
Uh, in fact, one of the one of the things that has happened all around the world in the 20th century was that any, all sorts of countries have tried central planning. Now, the guys who run the central planning, they usually have advanced degrees from uh, prestigious institutions. They have mountains of statistics uh, uh, sitting there, and they have all the experts of the country at their beck and call. And yet, when you take the power out of their hands and return it to the market, then all the hundreds of millions of people who don't have any of those things usually end up with a higher rate of growth and a more rapidly uh, rapid decline in poverty. Because consequential knowledge by its nature tends to be diffused, widely diffused. Yes, yes. Right. Segment two, intellectuals and economics. We've already touched on this. Two quotations. Number one, Paul Krugman, quote, rising in income inequality isn't new, but what happened under Bush was something entirely unprecedented. For the first time in our history, so much growth was being siphoned off to a small, wealthy minority oh, that most Americans were failing to gain ground even during a time of economic growth. Close quote. Second quotation, Dr. Thomas Sowell in Intellectuals and Society. Quote, the statistics that the, t the intelligentsia keeps citing are much more consistent with their vision of America than the statistics they keep ignoring. Close quote. That's a, that's a tough one to encapsulate, but the basic confusion is between statistical categories and flesh and blood people. It's true that if you look at uh, the percentage of the income that went to the top 20% uh, in some year A, uh, and then later on, a decade later, you'll find that that percentage has gone up. And you say, well, that shows the disparity between the people. But the rich are getting richer. Rich are getting richer. Right. Uh, but when you when you follow uh, statistics generated by the Internal Revenue Service, which can follow particular individuals over time, you find the people who are in the bottom twenty percent of taxpayers in the first year, uh, their income is nearly doubled by the by this uh, uh, late, later period, while the income of the people who are initially at the top is increased by less. And if you get down to the very top, it's actually going down. So that people are simply moving between these brackets from year to year. Uh, and the number of people who are in the bottom 20%, let's say in 1975, uh, who are still there in 1991 is 5% of them. Really? 29% of them who have already gotten all the way to the top. Uh, absolute majority are in the top half. And so you're, you're, you're comparing what happens to these abstract categories rather than what's happening to actual flesh and blood people. So there's an enormous amount of churn and dynamism oh my gosh, within yes, the American. Yeah. And he, he, almost everybody's own, own personal life. I mean, look, at what, what were you making when you were 20 years old compared to what you were making when you were 40? Negative. I was spending my parents' money when I was 20 oh, years old. There you are. Right? Right. Okay. So why would the intellectuals, what you've just made is, a, is an intellectually rigorous case. Why would an intellectual, as you use the term, be loath to look at that intellectually rigorous argument, be loath to examine the data the way you did? Well, he's happy with the data that he got. Why, why would he examine? So, why would he go further? He looks at the numbers. The numbers say what he what he thinks it should say. Hey, that's it. Right. QED, and he moves on to the next great uh, crusade. So, that clip right there, Thomas Sowell really does break down confirmation bias, and it happens to intellectuals. It happens to everyone. You know, this is kind of what I got to at the uh, the beginning of my show, and. And unfortunately, I didn't have a show blueprint, but I knew kind of the topics that I wanted to discuss. And, and it's turning out to be pretty, pretty clear that you know, we all have to be wary of confirmation bias, statistical lap fallacies, those types of things. That's actually a fallacy. 
You know, statistical fallacies do exist. You know, the 97% of scientists agree, all of those other, you know, nonsense terms that are used through climate science because there's so much money tied to it. There, there's nothing for them to do now. There's nothing for them to do but, but to defend it. I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, Jake, how many times it comes out that they, they rig the data or that there's no real consensus from NASA or um, from NOAA about uh, the general climate and what it's supposed to be. There's no, there's no questioning or even uh, hypothesizing the fact that um, uniformitarianism could be disproven. That's not even brought up. It's not even brought up because there's too much money involved that people are all in now, and you would have to replace it with something, uh, some kind of economic driver in order to get people to move from it. But there's too much backing behind it from the people that see it as a good opportunity to capitalize on centralized planning because they know what central planning brings. Central planning brings control. It, it brings impoverishment. It brings corruption. And if you're at the top, what would you want? You would want a bunch of low-level guys fighting over the scraps while you control the currency and credit of nation states and, and uh, HSBC and all these other big bank heads that, that, that perform major, major crimes. LIBOR is a great example. Major crimes. Holy crap, screwing the entire world. Whatever. Doesn't matter. I don't know. Who are the Falcons going to get this year? That's the kind of stuff that we need to talk about because that's easy stuff. That's easy. I mean, you can point it and go, hey, guys, look at this. Yeah, I understand that you're, you know, you don't like Barack Obama for whatever reason because you think he's a secret Muslim, whatever. I understand you don't like the Rothschilds or Rockefellers. I get it. But, but what about that? You can start holding people accountable for that. But what happens is the media grabs it on its way down to the populace, filters it, blah, 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 and then spits out whatever you. Whatever they think that you need. And that's why it becomes dangerous. Because, because now you've got the media dictating to the, to the people what you can and can't see. I mean, take example um, what I played on the last show. Talking about uh, exploding rail cars full of, um, full of oil. That's never talked about because there's a demonization campaign and because... There's people with uh, stakes in the game like Warren Buffett that actually have big – you know, that are big stakeholders in these large media operations. And hey, hey, don't you pull out or don't you bring up the fact that my operations doing things that could, um, could actually backfire on me politically. Don't bring it up. Go a different way. And that's what we're seeing. The misdirection, the, the buying off of the media and then – Unfortunately, some of the alternative media just going with an alternative narrative and not thinking for yourself. Just so easy. And unfortunately, things like InfoWars have just digressed into something that can't even be considered media anymore. I mean, I, I like some of the writers that you guys have there. I like some of the, some of the positioning that you have. But it's becoming, it's becoming like mainline talk show esque, and maybe it's because Alex Jones is losing money. Maybe it's because um, maybe it's because of the fact that um, you know Genesis was bought out. Who knows? But I've seen that operation that I thought was pretty fair or decent 
become completely nonsense. So um, we're we're gonna end here with the uh, Thomas Sowell's clip on uh, on climate change, and then um, I might do a little bit of extra and um, and put some of these clips in that I talked about before, like the uh, the EPA. Uh, I might just put those and tag those in the um, tag those in the show notes. So let's uh, let's see how long this clip lasts here. Hold on, stand by. Here's the clip of Thomas Sowell. All right, segment five, intellectuals and the rest of us. Again, intellectuals in society, there is a spontaneous demand from the larger society for the end products of engineering, medical, and scientific professions, but the demand for public intellectuals is largely manufactured by the public intellectuals themselves. Yes. Explain that. How do they manufacture demand for their own services? Well, they, they, one, one thing is by uh, making alarming predictions, uh, offering uh, solutions to our problems. Uh, and if they didn't do that, if, if Noam Chomsky had just kept on stating in linguistics, neither of us probably would have ever heard of Noam Chomsky. He would have been just as famous around the world among linguists, but w nobody else would have heard of him. What do you make of global warming? Uh, I think it's a classic example of the uh, need for crusades. Now, people, many people are shocked by these emails. I'm not at all shocked by them. I read, I read the original UN study years ago, and I was just curious as to how they were going to deal with the question that the uh, temperatures went up first, and then there was the increase in carbon, carbon dioxide. Right. Because you can't say that A causes B uh, uh, if B happened first. And so I read this, and I could see they were, they were tiptoeing through the tulips and the way they phrased things and so forth. They, they couldn't confront that. And, and now we're finding out uh, that they, they knew darn well they couldn't deal with all the evidence. So it fits the pattern of a group of intellectuals, science, climate scientists, mm -hmm. who are, have a very narrow competency, suddenly proclaiming that there's a crisis, mm. scaring the rest of us, thereby creating a demand for their services, yes. not as science, climate scientists alone, mm -hmm. but as a kind of high priestly caste that can tell us all how to live and save the entire yes. planet, and in the meantime, generate billions of dollars worth of government programs to fund their research initiatives. And so, so are you, it's a racket. Yes. All right. But, but again, you have to t take account of the ability of human beings to rationalize. Uh, I'm sure there are scientists out there who, who, who believe some or much of what they're saying, and there are other scientists who believe the opposite. But, they, but the ones who are pushing global warming are doing their damnedest to make sure that those who believe the opposite don't get heard in the public. So wouldn't there, shouldn't there be a, some large-ish body of climate scientists who say the data really does suggest that we're headed into trouble here, but precisely because my saying so as a climate scientist will look like special pleading, I, we as a community of scientists should be even more careful about being completely transparent, pushing the data out to the public. They should overcome the hurdle that it looks like self-pleading. Why, why, why isn't that taking place? There's no payoff to that. All right. Uh, imagine yourself as an assistant professor in some department where, the, uh, where your senior colleagues who are going to vote on your pay, among other things, uh, have millions of dollars in grants handed out to promote global warming, and you say just what, what you just now said. And they also say that this guy is incorrigible. So there, so there you have it. Um, that's that's the main clip that I kind of wanted to get out. There were two clips from Thomas Sowell in that interview, 
and I'm going to link to it. Um, I don't know. Um, I'm really going to get that book. It sounds very fascinating. But that's, you know, those are things that we need to think about. And that's kind of what, you know, the the propagandists of, I don't want to say I'm the old time because there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing new under the sun because it, it's all just uh, recycled propaganda. It's, it's the idea of this appeal to authority. It's the idea that there is um, somebody that knows and, and you have this, this, I don't know what it is about people that don't want to challenge um, popular beliefs. I, th- I think it's because you, you feel like you'll be alienated or, you know, here's, here's the thing that I think is going to be interesting. When the idea of climate science starts to die off or starts to skirt or any of that, when I go back and, and try to explain to people this is, you know, what what people that have actually looked at the data and, and have, you know, once again, read read the reports, not just, you know, like, like Agenda 21, the people that talk about it that have never read it before, where I've actually read it. And it's uh, – I, I found the most terrifying portion of it was um, – was the financial aspect of what they were going to do to the third world. I mean, understanding that they were going to bring down the first world, and that's, you know, I understand the rationale behind it. I, I don't agree with it. I think that a rising tide raises all ships, but, you know, I understand the rationale behind that, I guess, to some, like, weird, um, just, I guess, e- you know, equal out- outcome perspective, you know, instead of equal opportunity. But no, people that have actually looked at looked at the studies, much like what Thomas Sowell said, you know, hey, just read it, and you'll see that they they kind of tiptoe around the the idea that all this stuff was was here prior, and, and now you see it coming out with the fake numbers and stuff like that. But they just keep doubling down, and and people have this ego that they don't want to be. I don't want to be wrong. Oh, I can't be wrong. I can't be wrong. No, being wrong is good. It shows that that you have the ability to to learn, and so you know if I'm wrong, I, I I actually I like it. You know I'm I like it. I like to be wrong because then you have the ability to grow. If you see it that way. Now, if you see it the other way, then then I can't help you. So I would I'll um I'll link to the EPA clip because it's it's just really good to to hear these people get grilled when they talk about the the numbers and oh I'll get you I'll get you the data. So. You know what? I, I actually just need to play that. So I'll end with that quote, and then um, I'll end with that clip, and then we'll um, we'll get out of here. And uh, once again, thanks for listening to the show. Uh, if you live in the in and around the Atlanta area, uh, stay tuned to the website, uh, to my Facebook page, and um, I'm going to start organizing some rallies um, downtown, uh, local to my community. So if you live uh, on the south side of uh, Metro Atlanta. Uh, look for some uh, community-organized events there. I'm going to start with um, with uh, jury nullification. Um, I'm going to try to get a group of people together and um, show people that, hey, jury duty isn't um, just a scam to get you out of work, and it doesn't just suck. You, uh, you have a lot of power on that jury, and you need to know your rights and know what you're there to do. It is not just to judge the guilt or innocence of the person. It is to actually judge the law itself. And if we can get people to believe that and understand that, then man, will we will be making some progress? Because then you can just nullify, you know, things that you believe in, like uh, marijuana prohibition or something like that. You can just nullify that on the spot. If there's a no victim, no crime, just you know what? Let them go. 
Where's the victim? Show me the victim. Oh, no victim. Sorry. Sorry, you're out. So here is the um, the I think it's the head of the EPA, but uh, this is just uh, this is just gold. You know, this is um, if anybody that's ever done sales before, you know what uh, this means. It means that I don't uh, when they say uh, I can get those for you, uh, I can get that for you. That means I don't have any effing clue what you just asked me. And uh, so here we go. Here's the clip. Enjoy. Now we've had fewer droughts in recent years. Do you dispute that? I don't know what, in what context he's making statements like that, but I certainly can tell you about the droughts that are happening today. No, 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 no. You can't. I'm, I'm not arguing to you today that you are wrong about global warming because we have a cold spell. I'm asking you, what are the data? Don't you know worldwide data about whether or not we're having I'll, fewer or less droughts? I'll be happy to provide drought. it, but I certainly am aware that droughts are becoming more extreme and frequent. Are you aware that the IPCC has the, uh, found that um, wa- uh, moisture content of the soil is, uh, in, in, if anything, slightly greater than it has been over the last decade? It's in their report. Are you aware of that? I don't know what you're referring to, Senator, but I'm happy to respond. And well, you need to know because you're asking this economy to no. sustain tremendous cost, and you don't know whether or not the soil is worldwide is more so moist I don't, or I don't less know, moist. I don't know where your cost figures are coming from. I'm but quoting if you the take IPCC. A look at Second, uh, what about hurricanes? We had more or less hurricanes in the last decade. There have been more frequent hurricanes and more intense in terms of landing those hurricanes on the uh, on land, I cannot answer that question. It's a very complicated issue. It's not complicated it's on how many have landed. We've had a dramatic reduction in the number. Well, We've gone a decade without a, a hurricane class three or above. But, sir, the scientists are not really considering that number to be significant because the, the subset is so small that you're looking at, that you're taking issues in science out of context. And it's not my job uh, can to you, be... Are you asserting that uh, you have evidence that we have greater hurricane uh, around the world uh, in the last decade than the previous decade. I am a... So here is, once again, here is an interesting conundrum for the person stating that, oh, we don't have significant data. You're pulling something out of a small subset. Okay, great. That's great. Well, let's look at the bigger subset that you guys do have, and, and that data is fraudulent. You know, you guys have lied about that data a couple of degrees. So where does that fit into all of this? You know, this is just the reason that this lady sounds like she doesn't know anything is because she's a talking she's a talking head. She's there to maintain the status quo and she's actually getting real questions that she doesn't have the answer to and it's always deflect and divert and then oh I'll get to that later. Oh, I'll get you that information. You know, probably through some foundation funded uh, science where they um they eliminate the outliers and give the um the best possible presentation. It's um it's it's really kind of uh, amazing to think that 3,000 scientists has caused all this stink because I think that that's what the the sample size was for the uh, for the questionnaire where all the scientists agree. 3,000 people said that this works, and so now we're gonna we're just gonna roll it out to the world. Enjoy, everybody. Asserting that I have plenty of evidence factual evidence from scientists who know this issue that climate change is happening it's real it's happening now that wasn't the that wasn't the question notice how she did not answer the question that she reverts back to a talking point that she knows and um yeah so 
This is this this is what we deal with, people. These are these are real questions, and don't answer the real questions. And then, you know, people that are in in, in the community that believe um, wholeheartedly in climate change, you guys have bought into this. You know, you need to start asking yourself these questions. You know, if she's skirting these issues, and she's supposed to be the one that's you know you know spearheading this whole idea, then um, I mean, shoot. I would question. I even once again, I even questioned the idea of libertarianism, and look what I found. I found the connection to the Rockefellers. So, if you have, if you have any qualms about the quote unquote new world order or the high priest class or the elitist class of the world, um, you would be skeptical of libertarianism because it could be another trap. So, just something to ponder. Even though I think that it's great, once again, doesn't mean that we shouldn't question. So here we go. Of course, the climate is changing, Ms. McCarthy. I just ask you, you have been saying that we have more storms. Will you submit within a few days? It shouldn't take long I'm happy uh, to, to submit uh, show all that we've had more storms in when the last When you say decade. we, what are we talking the about? World. The U.S.? The world. I'm happy to submit right. the full breath of science that we have behind climate. Full breath. Everything is, oh, it's the science, science. That's the buzzword because you can't challenge science even though that's what science is, is developing, developing a hypothesis and then trying to disprove it. And if you can't disprove it, then it's actually provable. That's – come on, man. I mean eighth-grade science. Let's go, people. On many I just like some we'll numbers. do it again. Um, and uh, would you acknowledge that the uh, – and over the last 18 years – that the increase in temperature has been very little uh, and that it is well below, uh, matter of fact, 90 percent below most of the environmental models that showed how fast temperature would increase. Once again, that's the scare tactic that they use. It's going to increase. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. You know, only, what, 73 pages from uh, The Inconvenient Truth were actually had to be um, yeah, 73 pages of uh, uh, inaccurate information in that propaganda film, but yet it was shown to all these different school people and you need to be terrified of um, global warming because we got to get everybody in line because we got to deindustrialize the first world. But yep. Oh, well, whatever. Now nah, don't worry about that, man. Football is coming back in like six months. It's all good. No, I would not agree with that, sir. I, a one-degree temperature is significant. No, no, I don't no. no. Know what, I'm what asking you, is it at. below the models or above the models? I do not. That's a really straightforward question and, once again, probably should know this one. I don't know what the models actually are predicting that you're referring to. There are many models. Ahead of the environment. And, and sometimes it's actually going faster and sometimes slightly slower than the model predicts. Well, that's, once again, that's a very convenient way to put it because if you have a model that shows no increase and there's a slight increase, then, yeah, that, that's faster. So it's just word games, once again. But on the whole, it makes no difference to the validity and the robustness of climate science. <laughs> I hope you guys heard that. That makes no validity to the to the idea of climate science if you take out an 18-year window and show that it's below 90% of their projections. That has that's inconsequential. Listen, listen, get back on the get back on the talking points here, man. We got to Listen, I got a budget. I got a budget that I got to be in control of here. That is telling us that we are facing an absolute challenge that we must address both environmentally, economically, from a national security perspective. And oh, now it's a national security perspective. Climate change is a national security issue, everybody. For EPA, from a public health 
perspective. All right. Well, let me, of course, carbon pollution is CO2, and that's really not a pollutant. It's a plant food, and it doesn't harm anybody, except that it might include uh, temperature increases. But so let me ask you one. Which, once again, you should be hoping to God for because studies have shown also on the other side of the fence that every time that the climate warms up that people ah, actually live longer, uh, have more food. Oh, no, because there is you know certain things that we need like uh, warmer climates and um, more rainfall and – you know, that little pesky thing called the sun in order to grow stuff. And also carbon carbon dioxide, but, you know, that's a pollutant, so whatever. This is so bizarre. Sorry. One more time. Uh, are you asserting, just give me this answer. If you take the average of the models predicting how fast the temperature would increase, uh, is the temperature, in fact, increasing less than that or more than that? I cannot answer that question specifically. Well, Mr. Chairman, I just would say this is a stunning development that the head of the Environmental Protection Agency, who should know more than anybody else in the world, uh, who's imposing hundreds of billions of dollars in costs to prevent this climate and temperature increases, doesn't know whether their projections have been right or wrong. No, oh, there you go. So that's it, everybody. Um, enjoy it. Um, once again, I, I hate to harp on climate science, but it's kind of my pet peeve that, that people won't even challenge their own belief system. It's kind of getting to the core of what this whole show is all about. Challenge your own beliefs. Go out and read the documentation for yourself. Formulate your own opinion. How dare you in this society not go along with the status quo? What are you, one of them conspiracy theorists? As David Cameron said, hey – us, the people that don't believe known liars, are the uh, a danger just like ISIS. Just We're just like ISIS and ISIL. We're just as dangerous because the ideology is different. Yeah, it's different from the status quo bullshit because we're not buying it. Sorry. Sorry for the um, curse words on the show, everybody. I think there was a couple of them, but whatever. I figure we're all adults here, and if you do have children listening, I do apologize. But um Oh, we do live in a somewhat free country still, so I'm going to exercise my free speech while I still got it. So that's it for the show, everybody. Remember, get a friend, get informed, get involved, and tune in next week. Um, once again, the shows will be up once a week, and I will be back to a live format here very, very soon because we've got, holy cow, we've got the soundboard figured out. Now if we can just figure out how to run Skype over 3 meg DSL and make it sound good, we're in great shape, so... Thanks for listening, everybody. Tune in next week. This has been We Are Not Cattle telling you, get a friend, get informed, get involved, learn about jury nullification, get out there and do some activism, meet some people, and heaven forbid, talk to your fellow human beings and try to have a conversation. Thanks for listening, everybody. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.